Good morning. All right, we're going to read from John chapter 12 today. I think the verses should come up on the screen so you can follow along. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. We look to God just to bless his word to us. Great passage of scripture, isn't it? When I came in the room, Stuart said, you've got a lovely passage to read. Uh, Joel texted me on Friday morning and went, I've just read John 12. You've got a lovely passage to preach on. And I thought when Stuart said that to me, yeah, no pressure, right? <laughs> lovely chapter. Now, let's put this into context. And I know we've been going through John and there's, there's some great context to be had here. So John begins his gospel with really the most brilliant words, I think, that are recorded in the Bible about the Lord Jesus. Or some of the most brilliant words, incredible words that John tells us. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You can see the parallel, can't you, between Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Here, John says, in the beginning was the word. Words express how we feel, don't they? If we didn't have words, we'd be finding it pretty difficult to express ourselves. John says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and John goes a little bit further. He says, the word was was God. The one that John is writing about, he's saying this person is himself God. He goes on to say, and the word became flesh, and he lived amongst us, he dwelled amongst us. That's incredible. What a statement from John. My friend Frank became a Christian when he read these verses, and the Holy Spirit made them real to him, and he realized Jesus Christ is God. The eternal son of the eternal God come down to earth to die for our sins. If you're not a Christian today, Paul mentioned last week, this is the very purpose John writes his gospel, that you might believe and that in believing have life through his name. We lift up Jesus before the whole audience today and we say, if you've never trusted him as your savior, the Bible says now is the day of salvation. Trust him today, turn to him from your sins and ask him, to be your savior. The word became 
flesh and dwelt amongst us. So John begins the gospel with this urgent and decisive, wonderful statement about Jesus. He is God. And then as we go through John's gospel, John just stacks up evidence upon evidence upon evidence, and he builds on this first thought from verse one of chapter one. Jesus is God, Jesus is God, Jesus is God, and he builds this argument. And in the second chapter, we have the first of the signs, don't we? Water turned into wine in Cana of Galilee. And remember what the people said, you have made this water wine. No, they didn't. They said, you have saved the best wine. Now I'm going to read to you Isaiah 25 and verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. See, this is evidence in the Lord Jesus. The best wine, the finest of wines. The Lord Jesus is saying that coming kingdom, the kingdom of God, I will usher that kingdom in. This will be my kingdom. All of this evidence is pointing to Jesus as being God. A few verses later, we have the incident where the Lord Jesus goes into the temple. And remember, the, the, the changing money and people are making a living out of exchanging money and, and the offerings. And the Lord Jesus, with righteous rage, he's indignant and he throws over the tables. And the zeal of his father's house had eaten him up and he criticizes them. And, and they say to the Lord Jesus, what sign will you show us to prove your authority to do all this? He says, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will build it again. And they're like, doesn't he know this temple was, was built? It was before he was born. What's he talking about? And John gives us clarity. He says he wasn't talking about the building. He was talking about his body. And here again, John's gathering up this evidence and he's saying, God isn't going to be worshipped in temples made with hands, but the body of the Lord Jesus given on the cross at Calvary, it's going to be the meeting place between heaven and between earth. And through his sacrifice, we come to God to bring praise. The evidence, the signs, the teachings, they're all pointing forward to this great truth. The Lord Jesus is God. They give us a uh, a cohesive and a holistic view of who he is if we go all the way through the gospels and and read all the miracles and then we come to chapter 12 the backdrop of course is the raising of lazarus i think it was keith was was looking at that passage i was on sunday school so didn't get to to hear what keith was saying but paul gave us a bit yet yeah, last week didn't he uh, of the context of, as we're drawing to this chapter here chapter 12 the backdrop is lazarus raised from the dead and chapter 12 starts with six days before the passover that's important this was the last true passover the last passover that god desired from his nation his people the jews remember the lord jesus he ate the passover with the disciples the night in which he was betrayed and straight from that passover he took bread and wine Matthew 26 says this, Jesus took bread and he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Again, everything pointing forward to this great act of Calvary where the Lord Jesus would give his life. First Corinthians says, Christ, our Passover, sacrificed for us.
Is it wonderful that we've been able to do that together this morning? Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. Now, as you may well imagine, I have read John chapter 12 a fair few times this week. And yesterday morning, uh, I got up to go cycling. And I like, you know, Keith's a bit of a lightweight with cycling and Bob. We, we went out last Saturday, half past nine. I mean, most of the day is gone by half past nine. Well, yesterday, I got up at half past six to leave the seven. And at half past six, I've got my bagel in the toaster. And I've got my little double espresso ready to power me on. And I thought, well, I'll just open my Bible and read John 12. And I'd read it all week. This hit me right between the eyes. It says, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived. I think in Joel's translation that he read, it says where Lazarus was. It's the present context, present tense. It doesn't say he came to, to Bethany where Martha and Mary and Lazarus lived. It doesn't say he came to Bethany where Lazarus had died a few days before. It doesn't even say he came to Bethany, the place where Lazarus used to live. He came to where Lazarus lived. The proof of who he was was a walking, talking human being, breathing and living amongst others. Bethany was to become that famous place where the irreputable power of Jesus Christ was to be seen and witnessed, the place where Lazarus lived. I think that's amazing. Verse 11 says that many of the Jews were coming over to Jesus and believing in him. They came to see Lazarus and many of them upon seeing, they believed. They were seeing something that you could not explain in any other way. A man had been dead and was alive. Those that were in the know were waiting for someone to come and bring resurrection. Martha was one of those people. We read that in the previous chapter. The Lord, the Lord Jesus says he's going to be raised again. And Martha says, yeah, I, I know. I know on that last coming day, there'll be that resurrection. See, she, she knew. She was in tune with God, Martha. She had a, an understanding there. And as the evidence mounts up, resurrection demonstrated here some people knew about it they were waiting for it for the old testament the evidence mounts up and for some it's just too much we can't have this we, we can't lose our religion we can't lose our our status we can't have this man replacing everything that we hold dear and it lines our pockets and it gives us power they did not want this message and they they want to put the lord jesus to death in this place bethany Bethany is an important place in the Bible. It's just to the, the south side of, of the Mount of Olives, only like a mile and a half from Jerusalem. It was there that you remember from the Mount of Olives, the Lord Jesus ascended back to heaven some 46 days later, or maybe a little bit longer if you add in these extra days here, but not very long. The Lord Jesus was to ascend to heaven. And the Bible tells us that he's coming again to the earth and his feet will stand upon Mount of Olives. Bethany was an important place to the Lord Jesus. In the context of this chapter, it's a place where the Lord Jesus comes to find love and friendship and security and safety. People want him dead. 
They want his blood. And here he comes to Mary and Martha and Lazarus and they love him and he loves them and he's safe. I wonder if there's a calling for us as the church to be spiritual Bethany. Are we the place where Jesus is honored? Are we the people amongst whom he is welcomed and given his rightful place? When all around is rejecting him and despising him and don't want to know about him, are we the place where he dwells amongst us and we welcome him and we want to be with him and we love him and we're devoted to him? I think there is a calling for us to be to the Lord Jesus, spiritual Bethany. Uh, and in the chapter here, we've got this lovely domestic scene, haven't we? We're in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Uh, let's think about the characters for a minute. Who's here? Well, the Lord is here, first and foremost. The Lord Jesus is here. The dinner that's being held is in his honor. Now, I think some translations, maybe kind of we can read between the lines, and, and I think maybe it was in honor of the Lord Jesus because of what he had done for Lazarus. Now, I don't know if you could say that absolutely, but... I get the impression from some translations they were so overjoyed with what the Lord had done with Lazarus, the dinner was held in honor of him for that reason. So the Lord Jesus is there and it's all for his honor. So we'll just take him not out of the equation, but we'll put him in that place of honor. And then we look at the other characters, Mary, Martha, Lazarus. Now we've got a Mary in the room today. We've got a Martha in the room today. I don't suppose we've got anyone called Lazarus, have we? Well, we're all spiritual Lazarus, aren't we? We've trusted in Jesus. We were dead and now we're alive. Two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, Lazarus. And between the three of them, these three make up something of a spiritual dream team. They're, they're incredible to read about. And they're probably just ordinary people like you and I are just ordinary people, but they're all different and yet complementary. We as a church, as a local church and part of the universal church, we are called, aren't we, to be all unique and to be different and come as we are, and yet to come together in service and complement each other, working for the Lord. We are the body of Christ here on earth. Isn't that wonderful? And so our lives should be reflective of this. And in these three characters, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, I want to think about three points today, hopefully to give us some practical hints and tips to take out back into our week and the the time that we have here on earth. Martha worked and Mary worshiped and Lazarus witnessed. Three W's, nice and easy, right? WWW. I wanted to say about Martha that she served, but it wasn't a W, so it's work, okay? So you can interchange the word work with serve. Let's have a think about those three things then uh, for a few minutes. You'll be glad to know I've got my little timer on here. I'm not reading my text messages. I've gone way longer than I had thought, so we'll rattle through. So let's think about Lazarus then. Lazarus was a witness. So they'd come to see the Lord Jesus, yes, but these Jews had also come to see Lazarus, as we've mentioned. Here was irrespeable proof that Jesus Christ has power over death. He had brought the man back to life. People wanted to come and see him. Do you remember Herod? Remember when Pilate was cross-examining the Lord Jesus? He was anxious not to do the wrong thing. He knew that the people had power in Roman law. And he sends him off to Herod. And when the Lord Jesus gets to Herod, it says Herod was delighted. For a long time, he'd wanted to see the Lord Jesus 
because he wanted to see a miracle. Herod wanted to be entertained. He wanted to see something out of the ordinary. Maybe that's what some of the Jews had done here. They were coming just to see this freak show, this man who had risen from the dead, and maybe they believed it, maybe they didn't, but whatever it was, they wanted to come and see, but some definitely believed. Some were converted. It says they came over from their old religion to the Lord Jesus. That was great. The witness of Lazarus helped some to come to the Lord Jesus. And Lazarus is there, and I want to notice this, through nothing he has done, Lazarus is a witness to the Lord Jesus. Picture the scene. He died. Lazarus did nothing about it. He had no say in the fact that he died. The Lord Jesus raises him up again. Lazarus had nothing to do with it. He was powerless. He was dead. Lazarus did nothing. And yet, through what the Lord Jesus did, Lazarus becomes a witness. And as far as the record of scripture goes, a silent witness at that. I think that was a TV program, actually. But and those of us who are younger, I include myself, you know, people used to watch telly at an appointed time. You could get a planner and like you could watch a program. Back in those days, that was a program. Now it's just all YouTube, isn't it? Well, he was a silent witness. No record is ever given of what Lazarus said. He doesn't give any account. He doesn't write it down. John doesn't document it. There's no nothing said. Or it's it's weird, isn't it? A silent witness through nothing he's done. Yet he's a witness. People come and they believe on Jesus because of Lazarus. Now I'm not saying that Lazarus came back alive and was mute. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying the Bible doesn't record it. People often say, don't they? Like, would you like to meet somebody from history? In the Bible. I would like to meet Lazarus. Can you imagine? Somebody who was actually being across from this world into the unseen world. Somebody who was made that leap and come back again and is alive. Wow, imagine having Lazarus around for dinner. Lazarus, what was it like? Did, did it hurt? Did you feel anything? Did, what did you see and what did you hear? Where did you go to Lazarus? And, and was there anyone there? Can you imagine? And yet, not a word of it recorded in the Bible. People must have been coming to Lazarus asking all of these questions. Lazarus is there as the witness. And so it is for us as a church. We are called to be like Lazarus, to be a witness to the Lord Jesus. Philippians 2.15, it says that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and a twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We are called to be like Lazarus, to be a witness, and not of anything that we have done, but everything he has done. We are called to testify, Jesus saved me. And if you're a Christian, he saved you. That is one of our great callings as believers, to witness to the Lord Jesus, shining as lights in the world, through nothing we have done, through everything he has done. Now, witness can be a very personal thing. In 1 John chapter 1, we read these words. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and which our hands have handled, we proclaim concerning the word 
of life. This life appeared and we have seen and do testify and we proclaim to you eternal life, which, is which, the, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and what we have heard. What we have seen and what we have heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. We have to witness to what we have seen and heard. John is saying, we, we touched him, we were with him, we looked upon him and we studied him and we walked with him and we talked with him. Hey, if we're Christians today, we are walking with the Lord Jesus every day. And we're called to witness, like John is saying here, we are proclaiming to the world our savior. We are his witnesses, we are lights shining in the darkness. And witness, very often in the Bible, it's resurrection focused. It's linked, if you read the book of Acts, great. Witnessing for Jesus, testimonies for the Lord Jesus, they are often regularly linked with resurrection. The two go hand in hand. And our lives ought to be a living witness to the Lord Jesus. Now, it may be that there's some in the room today, and it may be that you have friends or you have family who are not Christians. Maybe a husband, or a wife, maybe your own children, maybe it's your parents, maybe your siblings, and the Lord Jesus knew what that was like. Remember Lazarus didn't say a word, nothing was recorded. The fact that he was alive and was once dead was a witness. Keep on going in your witness before your loved ones, which must be the most difficult thing in the world, but keep this in mind, you have been transformed and people will see it. We have been blind and made to see. We have been dead and we have been made alive. We were hopeless and helpless and we've been given living hope. We've been resurrected with the Lord Jesus and his power and his life is within us. Sometimes we just have to live out our faith before others. It was Francis of Assisi, wasn't it, who said, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words people should see from our lives that we have been with the lord jesus and so i want to encourage you all particularly if there's any who've got that situation at the minute friends or family who are not believers you might not think that there's anything happening but they see it and they feel it and they hear it keep on being a lazarus to those that you love and the second character is martha and Martha here is the worker. Joel said, I've got an hour and a quarter today, so we'll be fine. <laughs> See, when, when you're slick like Joel and you actually remember to ask people to help with the bread and wine, it gives you longer for the sermon. So great, thanks, Joel. Well, Martha is a worker. She appears three times, I think, in the New Testament. In, in the previous chapter, we read about her, that the Lord Jesus loved Martha and loved Mary and loved Lazarus. She was near and dear to the Lord Jesus. And just that in itself is great, isn't it? He knew them, he was with them, and he loved them. And evidently, they loved him. Now, Martha sometimes gets a bad rap, I think. My aim today is to elevate Martha, not to criticize Martha. And I want to say this, we should all be more Martha, right? In a sense, and I'll explain why. So Luke chapter 10 is where she's most famous for what she's probably most known for. I'll read Luke 10 to you. It says, when Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened a home to him. 
She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all this work by myself? Tell her to help me. I can speak to the Lord Jesus like that. He says, Martha, Martha. Only one of three times in the New Testament the Lord uses the double call of her name. Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I think really what the Lord is saying to Martha here is, maybe you've just lost a bit of the context you're so busy working and serving that maybe she had just missed the reason the whole thing was happening because Jesus was there. We can all be like that, can't we? We can be so busy working and serving that we actually forget the spiritual reason we do it. We do it for the Lord. We do it for him. I've had to read this to myself through the week when, when you're locked away in the office at home and you're studying and preparing. I'm going, am I studying this just to preach it? Or am I remembering I'm here with the Lord around his word? It's a big challenge to us all, isn't it, when we serve? And just like in the chapter that we have read today, chapter 12, Martha here, she is working. She's distracted and she's consumed. You know what it's like, don't you? Maybe you've had Keith and Lucy round for dinner or Andy and Claire. You know, when you've got the elders round, oh, big thing when you've got the elders round for dinner, isn't it? And the first thing that goes through your head when you wake up, Beef. Have I got the beef in? Will the beef be ready? And have I bought enough flour? I need to make Yorkshire puddings from scratch. They're laughing at the back because this happened when they came to our house last week. The first thing that went through my head last Sunday morning was the beef. The beef. <laughs> Maybe we just lose sight sometimes, don't we, of why we are serving. We shouldn't just be doing it and going through the motions of it and it becomes laborsome and tiresome. Mary's saying, hey, Lord, tell her to come and help me. Sorry, Martha's saying that. Come, tell, tell Mary to come and help me. Maybe she just lost a bit of the sight of the balance that was needed. She should have spent a bit of time with the Lord as well, shouldn't she? Of course, she still needed to prepare things. People still need to eat and be entertained in the home and welcomed in. That's good and it's biblical. The Bible is full of using our homes for the Lord. Well, Martha, she is a worker. The Lord says that Mary had chosen the better thing. Well, she was busy and she was working. Here in chapter 12, it says about Martha, and I, I like this, it says she served. Martha served. You know, there's a Martha in the room. At home group, Martha is always the first to serve. She's always saying, can I help with tea and coffee? She's always doing that. And those in our home group, Rob's smiling, Rob knows, and she often brings cakes and she loves to serve us, and that's great. The Martha is the Martha in the Bible. I love that. She's working and she's serving for us. Here, Martha served. Now, service is a Christ-like quality, something that should be seen in every Christian. We should be serving the Lord. The Lord Jesus, of course, is the perfect example. John 13, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He said. 
You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent them. And now you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. What a great example. The son of God, stooping down, derobing himself to wash the feet of his disciples. What a saviour we have. We sang, haven't we, about the servant king. Well, how can you work and serve? And how can I work and serve for the Lord? The good news is we don't get anything in the New Testament that sets out for us. You can do this and you must do this and you must do this. See, God understands and knows the human condition. After all, he made us. And there is diversity even in this room. Now, we can't all be Ian and kill it on the bass guitar every week. And, you know, we can't all be Gene and Thomas last week, beaming smiling faces to welcome us when we come into the hall. We can't all stand at the front and preach. We can't all lead the children's work. We can't all sing at the front. But we can all do other things. We can all of us bring to God what we have. We all have spiritual gift that he's given us to enable service. We all have talents and abilities and personalities and God wants us to bring them to him to serve each other, to serve in our day and our generation, to serve those around us who are lost and need Jesus, to serve each other as the church. And if we need more example, we only look to John 13 when the Lord Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. You, Whoever you are, can do something for God. You can serve him in your own way, whatever it may be. You can and we should serve the Lord. Remember at this dinner, it was for his honour. That's why they were there. And maybe that's what Martha lost a little bit of perspective with, but it's for him. Let's gain that perspective again that we are here for him. Now, the last section will have to be really quick is Mary, who was the worshipper. Well, that was good that Daniel brought that new song to us today because we've got a Martha who's been a Martha. Well, today we've got a Mary who's been a Mary. She's helped us and led us in worship. So isn't that really fitting? Here's Mary at the feet of the Lord Jesus, worshipping. Worship is a hard thing to pin down and to define. Essentially, when we worship, what we are saying is God is worthy. We are lifting our hearts to him. Often we are singing to him. We are elevating him in our minds. We are praising him and honoring him. And we are giving him glory and praise. It is a key calling of every Christian. 1 Peter 2 verse 9. You are a chosen people. And you are a royal priesthood and a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you from darkness into his marvelous light. We have a lot to praise God for, don't we? He has brought us from darkness into his marvelous light. He has opened our eyes to the truth of who the Lord Jesus is and in his grace and love. He has saved us and he's brought us into his family. Little wonder we are called to worship. 
Worship is that spirit of recognizing he is greater than we are. He is more than we are. He always has been and he always will be. Worship is that expression of what's in our hearts about him. Psalm 95, I'm going to read to you. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is a great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depth of the earth. The mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands form the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we, the people of his pasture and the flock under his care of whom he called you out of darkness into his light. We have got reason to praise God. He deserves it just because of who he is and what he is, the great eternal God. But he deserves our praise also for what he has done. He has called us and he has saved us. And how does Mary worship? She sits at his feet, subjection, humility, closeness, intimacy with the Lord Jesus, and she anoints him. She's saying to the Lord Jesus, this is about you, not me. Now she opens this perfume and she anoints his feet and then she, well, I couldn't do it, could I? She wipes it with her hair. What a lovely picture. It was extravagant. It was lavish. It was grand. And the challenge comes from the worship of Mary. Is anything too much, too great to give in worship? That is a challenge, isn't it? That is a hard challenge. It was a sacrifice. Hebrews 13 reminds us that we are to come with the sacrifice of praise. That's our portion as Christians. We are called to worship. Now, I think Joel maybe needs to have a word with the trustee holders and the elders, because the average salary in the UK is £38,131. £38,131. The Lord said to Judas when he questioned it, she's kept this for my burial. Oh, do you think she knew? Do you think she knew what was about to happen when loads of others didn't? The disciples, the apostles, they didn't get it. They couldn't see it. He'd spoken about his death so much. Here's a little clue that maybe veers me to the side of thinking maybe she did know. Her own brother was dead a few days ago and she didn't use the perfume. She didn't use any. Remember what it says about the body of Lazarus. Stank. The Lord Jesus says, against my burial, she's kept this. I wonder if this worshipper was so close to the Lord Jesus that she just knew. There was some intuition there and she grasped what maybe all the others hadn't, this lovely lady, Mary. You know, our lives ought to be an act of worship, and that's hard. I, I 
preach this in my own heart before I say it to anybody here. Our lives ought to be an act of worship. Romans 12, remember? Give your bodies as a living sacrifice daily. It's our reasonable service. Remember the widow? who brought the might, the smallest denomination, almost worthless, but it was everything she had. And you've got all the bigwigs splashing the cash. Hey, look at me, look at all the money I'm putting into the temple. I'm wonderful and I'm praising God and I'm so good. And this lady just humbly comes in and just nothing, right? Nothing, that the might was just almost worthless, but it was everything she had and she lays it in worship to the Lord and says, Lord, I'm giving you what I can. Remember King David? Remember when he sinned against the Lord and, and judgment came upon the people? And David prayed and said, Lord, enough of this judgment on the people. Put it on me. Put it on my family. And the Lord sees that David's repentant. And he says, build an altar where you are, David, and worship me. And he's on the threshing floor. And so David goes to the man who owns the threshing floor and he says, I need to buy this place. I need to build an altar to worship God. How much will you charge me? And the man says, oh, you're the king. It's yours, take it. Anything in your service. And David says, not one bit. He says, I won't offer to the Lord something that's cost me nothing. David paid the full price and built the altar and he worshipped. Sometimes worship costs us, doesn't it? We sometimes sing that there's pain in the offering. And sometimes in the difficult times in life, when we're going through the deep, dark waters, we still, that song that Daniel taught us that we've not sang before, we still come back to him and we say, but you're God. And it hurts sometimes, doesn't it? And it's painful sometimes. And we bring our thanks to him, even in the most challenging of times. And we say, Lord, I'm broken and I've got nothing, but I worship you for who you are. The pain in the offering is real. And the Lord Jesus, of course, is the one who brings that act of worship. He says, the Son of Man hasn't come to be served, but to serve others. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So three people with three different attributes. Martha, the worker. Lazarus, the witness. Mary, the worshiper. It should be seen in me and in you and as us as a church. These things should be evident amongst us. Mark's just going to put up a, a final slide for us. And then in a minute, the band are going to come and play. This is the chapter that's building up and building up and building up to the cross. And we see in the cross of Jesus Christ, that place called Calvary, called Golgotha, the place of slaughter and of suffering, the place of a skull, the place of shame and of death. We see the witness, the perfect witness. The Lord Jesus said in John 17, I have made you known to them. He witnessed every day of his life on earth of who God is, and he gave his life in witness to the love of God in heaven. And he came as that worker, as that servant, and he served perfectly, even though he was despised and rejected, and he gave himself to everyone around him. He worked tirelessly. And he came as the sacrifice. 
know, we hear the prophets, we hear the Lord Jesus' voice echoed through them. Sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. And the cross is the one sacrifice for sin forever that everything that God has put in place was pointing towards. Lifted up on the cross, the final, ultimate, perfect offering, the sacrifice of Jesus for me and for you. His body broken and beaten and torn and his blood poured out. He is the fulfillment of all of these things. He's the drink offering poured out. Not one drop more could go. He was dry and in the dust of death. He's the burnt offering consumed by fire and nothing left at all. And from Calvary's cross ascended to God, the fragrance, the sweetness of the offering. Let's join our hearts together in worship as we think of our God. <laughs>